Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, January 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. The stove status still very much off. No one's even in the kitchen trying to turn it back on right now. So we continue our series of pressing fast forward on whatever this ends up being another month or so without actual activity. We're going to focus on the AL Central, pressing fast forward on what the teams in that division might do once transactions resume, hopefully at some point, maybe in February, if you know things go well. Uh, Keith, how are things going for you? Good. I'm working on my prospect stuff and uh, making my team calls first and uh, probably start writing it about, eh, well, I'll start writing some next week, but about 10 days I'll start the writing like full, full bore. We are still scheduled to start running that top 100 on January 31st with the team reports to follow. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Always a, a great read each and every year. Let's start with the White Sox today as we dig into each of these AL Central teams. A few additions before things went on pause. Kendall Graveman went there on a three-year deal. They picked up the option on Craig Kimbrell, which I think we talked about back when it happened. And Leori Garcia is back as well. They still have some simple needs. I would say upgrades at second base and in right field would make sense for them. And I don't think Kimbrell actually makes sense because they had a great bullpen even before they traded for him back during the season, and then adding Graveman sort of made Kimbrell seem even more redundant. So trading him is sort of a need. But yeah, second base, right field, things that are relatively easy to get. They lost Cesar Hernandez, who they had acquired in season. And Ryan Tapera's gone, but clearly they already replaced him. So everything as far as like the core they have in place puts them in position to repeat as AL Central champions. Like They're easily the favorites right now. Where do you go? Because m- my first thought is, Hey, if Trevor Story's out there thinking about a, a pillow deal to get paid next offseason, he'd fit really well as a one-year option at second base for the White Sox. Yeah, that's true. I doubt he does that, right? I think he probably wants to go somewhere and play shortstop to increase his value any possible way. It's just my guess. Um, I just think that's a lot more like in his interest. Now, if he could go there and play shortstop, obviously he can't. They have a shortstop. But to go to that ballpark for a year to hit – would probably be pretty appealing, would be my guess, just from a, um, uh, you know, because it's a pretty good place for power hitters. Obviously, stories coming from a pretty good place for power hitters. I'm sure there's some non-zero concern, right? That he, is he actually a, you know, is that how much of the power is going to translate when he is uh, playing at sea level? So I think that's, um, you know, if he can go somewhere that's a bit of a hitter's park, that wouldn't hurt him, but for him to go somewhere and play second base probably just isn't a fit, even if he is willing to take a, a shorter-term deal somewhere. No, the White Sox, by the way, I, I agree. They are the favorites. They are, they're in a pretty good position also in that I think there are other competitive teams in that division, but they're pretty clearly 
better than everyone else. Um, you know, as long as they stay healthy, could they go like, I don't think they need to make a significant deal, right? I think they could just say, we're going to get some depth. And that might be enough. Right. And then get those upgrades at some point around the trade deadline, right? Get the established veteran outfielder to take over as the primary right fielder then. Okay, not a big deal. You can wait a little while and and save actually relative to you know making that move for the entire season. I like what they've got overall. I mean, it's it's a good rotation with Giolito and Lynn. Dylan Cease took that step forward. I think we'll get a year of Kopech in the rotation. Dallas Keuchel can eat up innings in the regular season, and then hopefully you can get away from him in the postseason. Mm-hmm. That's one way to work around that. Bullpen's loaded. You could get steps forward from Andrew Vaughn, and even just having completely healthy or close to healthy seasons from Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. I mean, like that's huge for them because those guys missed a lot of time in 2021. And mm-hmm. what we saw from Berber in particular was a big step in the right direction, especially with the plate discipline. Agreed. Um, you know, there was also some underlying stuff. Some of the Babbitt stuff seems like it's probably not sustainable. It's not going to be that over the course of a full season, but he's just not going to get to develop um, or continue to develop, I should say, unless he plays significantly more. So I think um, I, I, there's plenty of reasons for optimism there. I'm not trying to sound like a, any kind of White Sox contrarian. They're the best team in the division. I would pick them to win the division right now. Um, but they, uh, I also see there's some players there who might potentially, you know, there could be some regression, and that could in turn lead to, um, you know, justify, you know, if they chose to make a choice in, say, a, you know, high quality super utility guy, extra outfielder to make up for the fact, Hey, you know, Luis Robert might play more next year, but not be as productive when he does play. Yeah, that would make some sense. The system is uh, light to put it mildly. Like I, Mm -hmm. do you see anybody coming up and and making an impact on the big league roster in 2022? Ooh, that is, um, I think the answer is probably not in a significant way. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about like if you're talking about somebody to come up and be, you know, part timer, reliever, you know, Jimmy Lambert, Jonathan Stever, guys like that. Sure, um, nobody who's likely to contribute at all in a significant way next year. They have some talent at the lower levels of the system. They've had some more interesting picks. Like they a couple of years ago, they took Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson, a pair of high school pitchers who sort of had different, almost complementary skill sets. And those guys, they're just progressing, right? They're not close. They were going to be four-year projects, maybe more, because obviously guys do get hurt. They're on their way, at least. And so I um, I like what they've got building at the lower levels, but there's no short-term help. They've traded a lot of guys. They've promoted a lot of guys. Um, and to get to the point where, obviously, to get to this point where they are right now. Fortunately for them, though, already a top-five team based on Fangraph's war prior to everything stopping just a little over a month ago. So a good spot to be in if you're the White Sox. Let's take a look at Cleveland. The Guardians have plenty of needs, especially on the offensive side. They could use an upgrade at first base. The corner outfield spots continue to be problem areas for them. They have some pretty interesting help on the horizon, though, compared to the White Sox especially, but compared to most teams. This is a a pretty interesting system, and it does have position player talent. I think going into 2021 and your your breakdown of Cleveland's prospects, you said it was very shortstop heavy. How do you see the pieces coming together and, and who out of that core group of position players might be able to fill some of these existing needs that they have on the big league roster in Cleveland? 
Yeah, and they had a really significant 40-man crush that they ended up leaving off some guys who I would say actually are, I think, pretty significant prospects for them. Um, where uh, they – no, I don't know that they're necessarily going to lose those guys to um, – lose those guys to the rule five draft, but they at least created the possibility that they might um, because of the, just the huge crush. Like all those guys hit 40 man eligibility at about the same time. You know, I think you'll see Tyler Freeman in the big leagues for a good, you know, pretty good chunk of the year. I think you'll see Nolan Jones in the big leagues for a good chunk of the year, maybe playing right field for them. I don't know if that's hundred percent sure. He's got some things to work on, particularly his vulnerability versus left-handed pitching has become, I think a pretty real concern. I think Richie Palacios should get some big league time. Maybe it's more towards the end of the year. Um, but the interesting thing about their system, their system is good, but it's almost all guys, double A and Akron for them could be ridiculous to watch this year, right? There's a ton of talent. If it gets to the big leagues, most of the more interesting guys, the George Valeras, the Daniel Espinos, if they see the big leagues at all this year, which I doubt in both those cases, it wouldn't be till the very end. Much more likely we see those guys next year. So much of, of Cleveland's fate in 2022, to me, seems like it's just tied up in the health of their pitching. I mean, Shane Bieber in particular missed a ton of time last season. But even the way they're built with Tristan McKenzie taking that step forward in the second half, Cal Quantrill, I think, exceeded expectations. Zach Plesak, even though he took a step back, I mean, he's one of those guys. If he's healthy, eating innings are probably above average in quality. So he's at least good as a back half of the rotation guy. And then you got Aaron Savale there as well. I just I think that's where it could break down on them. You know, I, I look at this core group and say like they're fine with really good health, but the depth might not be what we're accustomed to with this group. They might not have that next wave of of big league ready arms sitting there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've actually been saying this for a while that um, you know, they had a great run of pitching. They also had a great run of developing pitching too. They got guys Bieber, Savale, uh, Plezak, who were all lower draft picks too, who developed. They've actually probably had better luck with those guys than they have had with some higher draft picks um, at developing those guys into real starters. Um, it took like not, but when I say real starters, I mean like above average, average, above average, even elite starters. I don't even see the raw material for that next group of guys. I mean, maybe maybe they exist and I'm missing them because obviously it's not like I thought Shane Bieber was going to be anything close to what he turned into. Maybe they take, um, you know, Logan Allen, who's probably of all the starters in their system, probably the most likely to make a big league start for them this year. If you said there's – if you ask the question – which Guardians pitching prospect is most likely to make one big league start for them this year, it would be Logan Allen. It, maybe it's him. Um, you know, maybe Gavin Williams stays healthy and he becomes that guy for them. I don't see any of those guys storming to the big leagues anytime soon. I mean, this, to me, this is the team at the beginning of a rebuild, um, which is fine. Right? We know that. I can imagine why Cleveland fans would be upset. They sort of did not follow through enough on when they had a strong core at the very end of Lindor's tenure, especially. I think the biggest question now is, are they just going to trade Jose Ramirez? Because I don't see a whole lot of point in holding on to him uh, when I think there'd probably be a pretty significant return. And maybe they could address some of those weaknesses, like, say, finding, uh, adding some upper-level pitching prospects to the system or adding some thump, right? I'm not sure Valera might be the one guy with a chance to be a middle-of-the-order type that of all the significant prospects in their system, very down on Nolan Jones after being a big fan of his when they first drafted him in his first year or two in the minors. He just, he's not progressing. So maybe you convert Ramirez to fill some of those holes. 
yeah, I mean, if it were totally up to you, is that the most logical path forward based on the rest of the core? Absolutely. Um, now, it, the only thing I'll say is the trade market was not really moving at all when um, when the lockout hit. We'll have to see if that changes. But I think it's that's a situation where they should say we're trading Jose Ramirez in the next you know three weeks. Best offers, and you take the best offer, and you know what you want, right? You take a look, you know what you're. Uh, looking for and so um you you just again you just take the best offer you can get yeah i mean with ramirez you've got two more years because he's got a club option for 2023 so i think the return would be significant because he's a clear impact guy that would fit on plenty of rosters and really isn't showing any major signs of decline just yet either yes right and I, you gotta you know <laughs> The Lindor thing is a tough one, but he'd made it pretty clear he was never going to sign an extension with the team. And so I think they just kind of waited a little too long on him. And as a result, they did okay, but they probably could have done better. And in Ramirez's case, you, you can't wait. You got to just now, now we're not waiting any further. Um, we got We're not waiting any longer. We don't want to miss another potential opportunity here. One more question for you about Cleveland. Just going back to the rotation for a minute. Are you buying into the version of Tristan McKenzie that we saw in the second half? Because I think compared to Zavale and Plesak and Quantrill, there's, to me, there's clearly more ceiling there. But do you think the, the floor has, has jumped up enough where he's clearly that number two guy behind Bieber? Because it would go a long way if they could have 160 plus innings of second half Tristan McKenzie in that rotation. I like Tristan McKenzie. He has got to show he can hold velocity for an entire season. Um, but I think his long-term outlook is great. I, you know, obviously people have commented quite a bit on his physique and I don't want to necessarily pile onto that, but one way or another, he is definitely going to have to find a way to hold stuff. And you know, it was shocking to see how many guys he walked. He almost walked almost a man every other inning last year. He's, he ain't that guy. Like, that is nothing. You look anything in his track record going back to high school. That's never who he was. And I, um, you know, I attribute some of that to the effort required for him to maintain the quality of his stuff, um, given his body, given his build over the course of a full season. And so I'm, again, remain extremely high on him. Uh, he is incredibly intelligent. He, uh, the Guardians people have raved for years about what a great worker he is. He's really athletic. He's got great extension over his front side. I don't think he has to throw 95, 96 to be effective. I think he needs probably one extra gear of velocity and then he could, and then it's just health. And then he could pitch in the big leagues for a really long time. Yeah. It almost seems more like if he could just sit 92, 93 and then reach back for 95 or 96 on occasion, that might be better than trying to sit 94, 95 all the time based on how he pitches. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just comes down to, you know, effort. Um, uh, it comes down to, you know, what is comfortable for him. And only he knows, right? And I mean, the Guardians, to some extent, understand what's going into it. But he's going to have to find that level, that middle ground between maybe it's a little bit more effort required. Because uh, he was always kind of, an, it's always been very, very easy for him. But he's also had some minor injuries, too. Like, never had surgery, but he's missed lots of t longer periods of time with, you know, minor soreness. There was a back issue, I think, at one point. It was a forearm issue. And so he's, you know, it's a... It is a delicate balance, right? You're trying to protect this guy who I think has 
probably not number one starter ceiling because uh, I don't know that he'll ever handle that workload, but he's an above average starter. That's definitely his ceiling. And it's about finding where's that middle ground. If he does seed a tiny bit of command, but it helps him miss more bats, for example, helps him go through a lineup a third time, I'd be comfortable with a little bit of that trade-off. I lied. I have one more Cleveland question because oh I, I know I'm the worst. Miles Straw, they acquired him from the Astros last season. Given the issues they've had developing outfielders, plenty of opportunity for him. What do you see in him overall? Do you do you think he's a legitimate multi-year starter in center field? Or do you think he's more of a fourth outfielder who's been temporarily miscast in a larger role? Yeah, I think the latter. Right, I think that it's actually shocking to me that a guy with this little power um, was even able to walk as much as he did last year. Why? Why? Why would you not attack the hell out of this guy? I mean, he can really run. He's always he's been an eighty runner. I saw him years ago when he was still a prospect, um, and I thought he was an extra outfielder then. I think he's an extra outfielder now. I understand his WAR last year said he was a lot more than that. I think that's the peak. There's nowhere to go but down from here. I just don't think he's that kind of player. Yeah, it's just it's interesting to me too because it seems like that type of player, that glove first speedster in center field, is increasingly something that teams are are not as happy to have on their roster. Right? It's no. kind of like we can we'll, we'll take a defensive hit for a better bat, and that's a better way to go for a lot of teams. You don't need power in the sense of this may be a little bit of a difference between when when scouts talk about power or scouting writers like me talk about power like, i'm not saying miles straw needs to hit 15 homers a year i'm saying he's got to impact the ball more there's got to be more consistent hard contact a little bit more of an extra base threat he doesn't have that and so to me that um that i mean that just really holds him back um, not just in terms of ceiling, but in terms of, I think, the sustainability of what he did manage to do last year. I, I Pitchers should be attacking him repeatedly, almost daring him to put the ball in play. Yeah, we saw that with Billy Hamilton for years. I mean, we're talking about a guy in straw with a 25.9% hard hit rate last season. That is very, very low. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go to Minnesota. One addition before the lockout started that was Dylan Bundy on a one-year deal. And I do think this is a question of does... Does this organization have the ability to go to the scrap heap and find value in pitching? And I think a couple of years ago, the thought was with Wes Johnson and company, they did have that. And I think mm-hmm. after what we saw over the last year or so, that's more of a question again. And I think Bundy is a, a great way to test that out. Are you going to be able to get him back to his shortened season levels? I don't think that guy's ever coming back. But they needed depth. They lost Michael Pineda or will likely lose him as a free agent. Uh, Anderton Simmons, Alex Colomay also gone. And I think this is a team that's really going to miss Kenta Maeda just because they, they've got a lot of guys that can maybe chew up some innings, but they don't really have somebody that in an elimination game that you're really worried about on the big league roster right now. Yes, I agree with all of that and was just surprised. And who knows where this comes from exactly, but was surprised that they did not do more 
to try to improve the team. This is a team that was, you know, they were a division winner, won the playoff game. Sorry, had a playoff spot, what, just two seasons ago? Um, yeah, why not? Uh, why not make more of an invest? Why not make more of a run? As these big starting pitchers were coming off the market, where were the twins? What is the, is, you know, is this from ownership, for example? They didn't want to spend, period. They didn't want to spend before the new CBA was set. I don't know. I, d- I don't know the answer to that. I, but I was very surprised we did not see them much more involved in uh, in the market this winter. They did extend Byron Buxton, which seven years, $100 million. I mean, I'm I'm all for that. There is... Mm-hmm. There's proof that there is a superstar ceiling there. The injuries have been an ongoing problem. I've said this before. He has that combination of what I would describe as injury-prone and accident-prone. When you put those two <laughs> things together, you get huge gaps in, in yep. on the back of the baseball card. But the underlying numbers, the barrel rates, the speed, what he can do in center field, he he could win an MVP award. Like that, yes. that to me is within his range of outcomes. I'm glad he's staying in Minnesota because... I feel like the Twins deserve to get the best of Byron Buxton because we still maybe haven't seen it yet. We deserve to get the best of Byron Wait, We deserve Buxton, it more than right? they do. We have been waiting, right? It's like you guys, you have him and you've, you've, you've helped him along, but it hasn't, it hasn't all happened yet over a full season. But what we've mm-hmm. seen in partial seasons going back really three years now is really exciting. Yeah, I'm in. Obviously, I love Byron Buxton. I've always thought he was going to be a superstar. It took longer. It's okay. They don't all develop on the same timetable, but I absolutely, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I love the contract. I love that they're staying with him. I think he is going to win that MVP award at some point. I think the odds are, look, he's, yes, he's been accident prone and injury prone. I'm optimistic. I am hopeful that we will, uh, continue to see. Um, can you see that level of production? Just do it over the course of a full season. And they're a different team when he plays. I mean, that's really, really strongly true. They are just a much different team, both sides of the ball. When he plays, he is a huge difference maker for them. And, but again, also, if you're going to make that investment in Byron Buxton, Hey, that's great that you do so. Okay. Then follow up and okay. What do you do next? Like, where's the, what is the pitching investment, the comparable pitching investment then that you would make? Um, but they didn't, and I'm a little surprised that they chose not to do so. Yeah, this is a team that, I mean, the position player group is strong across the board. Like, I, I like what they've got. You've got some old guys like Josh Donaldson. you got the young possible superstar in Buxton. You've got good role players. Jorge Polanco had another great season in 2021. It looked a lot like what he did in 2019. So you're, you're kind of good everywhere you want to be good in that group. But that rotation, I mean, we mentioned the Bundy edition, it's Joe Ryan, it's Bailey Ober, it's it's a group of guys that, you know, unless you are a Twins fan, a prospect junkie, or a deep league fantasy player, you generally don't know much about those guys and don't have very high expectations for them. Where does the pitching come from? If they don't make additions from the outside of, of the prospects they have, they added Simeon Woods Richardson as part of the Royce Lewis trade at the deadline. Are they going to have enough pitching with what they have already, or do they have to go out and find more between now and opening day? Yeah, I think they have to find more, don't you? I, I just, I, I don't see it. Even if you believe in their young guys, I think you have to add more just because yep. you're putting a lot of pressure on very young pitchers if you go into the season with your depth chart as it is. Yeah, I, and I mean, I'm not, that's not, a, I'm not dinging Joe Ryan here either. 
Joanne's a perfectly fine, I think, back-end starter. Uh, I like Joe Ryan. I thought it was a solid pickup. I also recognize that there's some, uh, you know, there's definitely a limit to the upside there. And he ain't the answer, right? That is not the solution to their pitching problems. He helps. It helps to have guys like him and Ober at the back of the rotation, but he is not. That's not what they needed. They needed to go sign one of the big starters, and they chose not to. And I think, I mean, that's the thing I emphasize. They chose not to. Now, whether that was baseball ops or whether that was ownership, we don't know. I think that's absolutely something we always have to remember when it comes to big free agent signings, frankly, or to the trade of a player like a Jose Ramirez, too. Who's actually making that decision? Maybe the front office would love to do it, and just they were prevented from doing so by ownership. I think the problem, the follow-up question is, okay, which which pitchers actually fit? Who who could they get given their self-imposed constraints, as we'll call them? Or they, maybe, they, maybe they're a team that does it via trade. What could they possibly trade to get pitching? Because that's where they've got a lot of their, their bulk guys who are currently projected to be in that group. Well, God, who's left, right? Is Carlos Rodon the best free agent starter left? Yeah, I think in terms of, of ceiling, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. It's a lot of reliever. I mean, I'm the, you know, first of all, Clayton Kershaw, we don't even know exactly how healthy he is, but maybe he's not. I, I, I He's probably not going there anyway. Like, I'm not sure who's really left. It's a lot of guys at the end of their careers. Pineda, I think, is still out there. I mean, I'm just scanning some names here. It's not great, right? And what I keep hearing is that the price for pitching is – um, is not good, right? That's the uh, cost, the trade cost of pitching I'm referring to is just kind of excessive. And that's why we didn't see a lot of trade activity before the lockout began. And I don't know how much we're going to see afterwards, but I don't think that's the answer for the Twins. Also, I'm not sure I would be telling the Twins, they didn't ask. I'm not sure I'd be telling them to go trade for pitching at that point. If you've decided that, you're waiting on Balazovic. You're waiting on... Woods Richardson, you're waiting on Duran, other guys in that system to come along. And they do seem close as a group. I don't think it's absurd to have expectations for them in 2022. It's expecting all three of those guys to be healthy and good to go early in the season. That might be a bit too much. Uh, Royce Lewis, post-ACL recovery, where does he fit for you? Who knows, right? I mean, I've always been a little down on him and as a prospect since he went out and made his own swing change. this crazy high leg kick, this big hitch. Like you just, he can't hit like that. I will say the thing that concerns me the most by far is how's he going to run coming off of that ACL injury? Because he could run and he was a really good base runner. And that would be, if that was one of the few things that was still there, you could still bank on. And I always thought he was going to end up in center field because he was not a great shortstop and he had the speed. He'd have no problem moving to center field. If he goes from being a 70-80 runner to a 55-60 runner, that's a pretty big hit. Let's move on to Kansas City. Uh, Additions, um, the rundown says not really. They did add Taylor Clark (laughs) on a one-year deal. So with all due respect to Taylor Clark, yes, the Royals have signed a free agent. I mean, the remaining needs, uh, pitching of of all kinds, the losses, Greg Holland, uh, Jesse Hahn, Jacob Junis, Irvin Santana, those are just mostly innings eaters. I mean, Holland kind of fit into their late inning puzzle. A few weeks ago, we talked about what is on the horizon in Kansas City, and it's exciting. Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and more than that. But the pitching is really the 
how do they make this team a playoff team again sort of question how much of that is developing the young guys that have had a chance in the big leagues how much of that is contributions from guys who haven't debuted yet how do you see the royals making it work with this core of pitching you said it right wit melendez prado these guys are coming probably fast these guys are going to be there extremely quickly and I am very confident that um, th- I mean this team is they're going to get good soon. They're not going to be good this year. I think that's just asking way too much. But I do think they're going to be good pretty soon, um, and that those guys are going to be that that offensive core is coming. It almost look. I could be painting a best case scenario here too, but those pitchers getting to the big leagues and a lot of them taking their lumps and a lot of them having they all have things to work on pretty much. Across the board, some of those guys aren't going to be starters. I've said forever, I don't think Brady Singer can be a starter. They don't all have to be starters because the Royals have so many of them. Some of them have to be big league starters, obviously, for them to be competitive. But I think they're going to get there. I think enough of those starters will develop, and hopefully they'll be doing it at the right time. As Witt, Melendez, Prado, etc. reach the majors, uh, which, by the way, given how bad Prado and Melendez were here in Wilmington in 2019, it's still amazing I can even say that sentence. Uh, but as those guys get to the big leagues, hopefully by that point, the rotation is coming along to be a, you know, a championship caliber rotation. Maybe they have to add one guy from outside at some point, but I'm still going to hold with the sheer quantity and of the arms they have any the upside of those arms. I'm going to ride with those guys. Yeah, they do have more volume than a lot of other teams that need pitching upgrades so yeah it could call it could just all come from within i think carlos hernandez was the guy that sort of caught my eye at the end of 2021 as someone that i don't feel like you ever really heard his name mentioned with the likes of lynch and and brady singer and boobich all, all the guys that you hear about he was never really part of that list of names and i think there's a chance that he you know if he can get the control consistent enough where he's not walking four plus per nine i think he ends up being a guy that actually does make an impact at least as a back-end starter yeah that's um he's got a great arm i think i probably always had him as a reliever you know, you know folks can go back and take a look at my notes maybe coming out of the, the first year he was in full season ball when his control numbers were substantially better but i think after that i sort of always had him i'm going off memory here but had him as a more likely as a reliever to possibly a two pitch reliever, but also you can be something in between now and be really valuable, right? He could be that hundred inning he threw eighty five innings in a kind of a swing role last year. He could be that guy. So I could see, um, could absolutely see him. He's a contributor in some role. Would I bet on him being a big league starter? Probably not yet. I'm hedging my bets a little bit, but maybe he is that guy. Maybe Singer ends up the swing man or in the bullpen. Maybe Cowar ends up in the bullpen because he can't get the breaking ball to where it needs to be. And instead it becomes Hernandez. I know we talked a lot about the gap between AAA and the big leagues being maybe as wide as it's ever been on this show throughout the year. I still can't believe the the difference in Jackson Kohar's dominance at AAA and then just how much he struggled in his debut. His struggles in those first few starts felt like the yips to me, right? Like he just, he was not even close to being himself. So I'm trying to figure out just how much of a pass we could or should give him for what we saw at the big league level in 2021. Uh, I give everybody a pass, especially after the lost 
pandemic year. And the gap, like you said, the gap between AAA and the majors, the gap between the minors and the majors feels like it's as big as it ever was. And the gap between some levels in the minors felt really huge last year. I just think a lot of stuff was off. Plus, there's always the issue for all players of the fact that they're using a different baseball in most of the minors as they are in the big leagues. And I absolutely would not discount the uh, importance of that and how much that can potentially screw with a lot of players. It can screw, particularly screw with pitchers. I think it can screw with a lot of hitters as well. If you were going to add one free agent to the Royals for even just a short-term deal, what do you think you would do? What's your preferred move? Do you go get a, a Michael Conforto type and, and upgrade the offense? Uh, what's your what's your general approach to this roster? Even if you, you're you not really expecting to go to the playoffs this year, you're going to be better. You're going to be more watchable. But what do you do to just sort of help bridge the gap to the next great Royals team? I love that Conforto idea. I'm glad you said that. Actually, made my job easy, right? I'll take that guy. <laughs> I think... You and I are uh, in lockstep on belief in Michael Conforto as one of the better bargain free agents of this this offseason. Gives them something they really need in on-base skill. Um, fills, you know, they don't really have a big systemic weakness, but I think fills a little bit of a spot for them. Uh, he's not immediately blocking anyone. And they've done a lot of work with Scott Boris, Conforto's Boris client. Could they work out maybe a one-year deal? I don't know. Conforto turned down the QO. Maybe he'd rather take a two-year, try to get a longer-term deal somewhere. But God, if you were willing to do a one-year, $20 million deal, I would love that for the Royals. I'd love that for Conforto. I bet you he goes out and pulls the... Uh, remember Adrian Beltre had that one-year pillow contract with the Red Sox, had an MVP-type year, parlayed it to a five-year deal that it turned out to a rest-of-career deal with Texas. Like That's, to me, Conforto could do that. He's abs- He's my pick to have that kind of year, and I would love that pickup for the Royals. Yeah, that worked. Uh, that Adrian Beltrade deal, that all worked out for everybody in the end. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Let's get to the Tigers, the team that's been easily the most exciting in this division uh, and what we've seen of this offseason, both Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez there. Baez on a six-year deal, Erod on a five-year deal. Clearly, Rodriguez among the players uh, in the postseason that, with his performance, probably made himself some extra money as a free agent, so good for him. Of all the places that I tried to place Baez, Keith, Detroit really wasn't one of them. So that was one of the more surprising moves that happened in that flurry of activity uh, pre-lockout. Now, I think you've said before the ceiling for him, similar to Byron Buxton, is what MVP level or close to it. I mean, that's still 
tools-wise something that he offers, but how much how much does the change of scenery increase the possibility of that happening? Right, we saw it in the form of a trade. I don't know if a mid-season trade is easily is the best way to to change who you are as a player, but could it actually happen in Detroit where he's the guy until their young core starts to fall into place? Yeah, I have questions, right? Bias, I mean, hell, bias, 15 walks. I pulled this up. I'm not pulling this out of my head. 14 unintentional walks in 91 games for the Cubs, 12 unintentional walks in 47 games for the Mets. Did he finally learn, right? That that pace with the Mets would have, if, he, if he'd done that for a full season, he would have blown his career high out of the water, right? He would have had, he would have drawn 40 walks in a season for the first time ever. He's never done that. He's never drawn 30 unintentional walks in a season in the big leagues. If he becomes a 40 walks a year guy, he is probably top five MVP candidate because of the defense, the base running acumen, the ridiculous power, the bat speed. He might I mean, he hit 31 homers as it is. He had 34 in his peak year in 2018. Could he Could he hit 40? Yeah, I think he could. He's got some of the best pure bat speed I've ever scouted uh, and still does. I mean, I'm talking about when I saw him as a high schooler and as a prospect, and he still does. And he can still square up a lot of pitches. I also think there's a lot of at-bats where he goes to the plate and he's already decided, I'm swinging at pitches one, three, and four. So, yeah, but it's in there. It's absolutely in there. I don't know what does it, right? I mean, God, let's not pretend that the Cubs never tried. Obviously, they tried. Did something click with the Mets? Will something click with the Tigers? Tigers have made a lot of changes, front office, coaching staff, et cetera, over the last probably two years or so. Could it? Sure. I'm open-minded, and I am definitely a Baez stan. I think it's it's in there. And if he has an MVP-type year this year, next year, wouldn't surprise me at all. The Tigers, to me, are the, the one team, I, when we were talking about the White Sox, that I keep thinking, they're going to be annoying this year, right? I don't think they're really going to contend. I can't put together a 90-win season for this Tigers roster, but even if they put Torkelson on the opening day roster, which they should – there's still going to be plenty of ups and downs. Pitching is still developing. Some of these guys are going to miss some time slash get hurt. There's a lot of things that could go awry. I think they're a legit contender for 2023, and they're going to be a real thorn in people's side this year. They, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a team that had a 20-win month at some point during the season. People are, are the Tigers for real? Yeah, they're actually, yeah, they're, they're going to be for real. They're probably going to end up just on the wrong side of the playoffs, but they'll be substantially better. And that's as much because of strong drafting and development, uh, particularly the, they're particularly with a lot of the first rounders they've taken. They've changed their approach a couple of years ago, and it's really paying off, as well as the, the two big offseason acquisitions. 2021 Mariners vibes, I think, is kind of what I get when I look at this roster and kind of think about the direction mm-hmm. they could be headed in. Uh, interesting, too, when you look at this roster, I mean, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, still bright futures for all three. I think Mize, we want to see more strikeouts. That's that's the thing. There's- more, yep, more splitters. Throw more splitters. I know everybody's anti-splitter. I am team splitter. Hashtag more splitters. I think the one of the best stories of last year happened in Detroit, and I think it was getting a lot of attention early in the year. Akil Badu, a Rule 5 pick who's last season in 2019 had been cut short by a knee injury. He was making the leap from high eight of the big leagues and he played well. I mean, hit 259 with a 330 OBP, popped 13 homers, stole 18 bases in 22 attempts. So he's efficient in that regard as well. Is there another level 
for Badu? Could he actually be a consistent 2020 guy and in, in one of those Rule 5 steals that we end up uh, talking about for the next several years? Yeah, he was a crazy pick, right? Because he'd had Tommy John surgery in May of the year before, right? Or two years before, and then missed 2020. So, you know, the Tigers took him despite him not playing a game at, after like June 1st of 2019. And he got off to a horrible start in 2019. And then this year, you know, kind of some ups and downs, as you might expect from a guy who'd never played above A ball and hadn't taken a live at bat in it's probably close to 24, probably 23 months, 22 and a half months. I don't know. At that point, it doesn't matter, right? You know, how old does your kid have to be before you start giving your age in months? He's right on the cusp <laughs> of that. Um, and he's only 22. Like, I'd like to believe for a guy who's always had a decent feel for the strike zone. I remember even in short season ball when he was kind of struggling some other ways. Even the twin zone people said, this guy's he's got an idea at the plate, though. This is not your typical. There's definitely a stereotype in scouting of high school, multi-sport, especially high school position players from the deep south. They are often players of color as well. I think that's part of the stereotype. And you know, like a lot of stereotypes, it you know can lead to some really bad decisions, right? And we can overlook certain players. Oh, he's another one of those. Well, you know, first of all, those isn't really a thing. But Bedu, like Taylor Trammell, probably wasn't that type of guy. He was a better baseball player than maybe people gave him credit for. Obviously, the Twins saw something; they took him, so maybe they didn't fall for the stereotype. But I think Bedu has shown throughout his pro career, he's always had a better idea of the strike zone. It was a matter of converting some of the other physical tools that he had into on-field production. I, mean, I give the Tigers a lot of credit. I, either, I, I mean, maybe they were lucky. You know, maybe maybe they had no idea what they were taking, but Badu wasn't like a secret guy either. We, he, he'd been on the prospect map for a while. Still, that's a hell of a risk to take, to think you're going to take that guy who hasn't had a, a, a pro at-bat in two years and he's going to stick all year, let alone turn out to be one of your more productive regulars. Good on them. And yeah, I think there's another gear there. And I actually wonder if as much as anything else, yeah, okay, I just had to pull it up. He had 13 bombs last year, didn't quite play a full season. Is it 20 bombs? Yeah, that's probably around where the peak is. But I especially look at that. It's a 330 on base percentage, which is a hell of a year for a 22-year-old with that long of a gap in performance, who was also rehabbing an injury during part of the time off. Could he be a 350, 360 on base guy in time? I bet you that's in there. The one area of improvement I could see most with him would be that, which would also turn him into a hell of a player. Yeah, I mean, the 26.5% K rate for me is actually really impressive, especially in the context of for the context, everything. I yeah. I, that's the part that I, I think is most impressive. Uh, as far as losses for the Tigers, by the way, Matthew Boyd, Nico Goodrum, nobody that they're going to, to miss in a big way. Willie Peralta, Jose Arena provided some innings, but this core is actually really good. I think the thing that I'm, I'm taking away from this episode is I'm going to be excited to watch Tigers-Royals games on a yeah. Wednesday for the first time in a long time. So you didn't even talk about the Tigers' prospects, right? Which we don't have to spend a lot of time on, but Spencer Torkelson, number one overall pick in 2020, gets to the big leagues this year. I would actually argue he's ready right now. Riley Green got to AAA last year at 20. I think he was still 20. He's a baby. He's close to ready. He'll be up at some point this year. I don't think he's ready right now. I understand there are Tigers fans who want to see him in the big leagues immediately. I don't think that's necessary, and I don't think he's 100% ready for that. But he'll be up soon. Dylan Dingler could be the answer for them behind the plate by the midpoint of the season. They acquired Tucker Barnhart, Tucker Barnhart, I think, to tide them over. Dingler is the future for them 
behind the plate. They have guys coming. They have a lot of guys who are coming fairly quickly. And I think all three of those guys end up contributing to this team by the end of the year. They're all in the opening day lineup by 2023. And yeah, that makes this team way more exciting. And maybe at some point between now and the first game of 2023, there's one more acquisition. Maybe it's another starting pitcher. You know, if Mize, Manning, Scooble don't turn out to be what we're hoping they're going to be because of health, because of other reasons, it happens. So maybe they make that one more acquisition, but this team is absolutely on the right path. And I have a feeling what they're going to end up needing to do is fill around the margins now. I think the core is all basically in place if you include those minor league guys and what's in the big leagues. And it's going to be more about how do we fill in around the edges because that's where I think they've struggled. Their later draft picks, for example, have not been as fruitful. And so they'll need to go out and get the extra guys, the relief help, the fifth starter, those types of guys that they have not found as successfully through the draft or through international in the last few years. Generally, though, when they have a core in place. This is a franchise that is willing to spend on payroll, too. So I think you tack that all together and they could be multi-year contenders as that window starts to open up again in Detroit. That is going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns next week. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.